Hey everyone, you're listening to the Working Triathlete Podcast. This podcast is focused on helping you maximize performance with deliberate efficiency. How's it going? Going well. What a busy weekend and week. Last week, I don't know what it is, but we got uh, a bunch of busy athletes and we're just busy. Are you busy? I'm busy. It was a busy weekend. We had family over um which you know so it wasn't a super busy weekend from like a work standpoint but just having people over and organizing certain things but yeah i mean it's been this week's already going to be pretty busy last week wasn't too bad for me but um athletes are are starting to race again i had one athlete race a marathon last week so it's picking up again it's almost time i mean we are in the middle of winter which means it's all it's also your birthday. Today's your birthday. So happy birthday. It is my birthday. Um I'm it's midlife crisis is about to happen. I'm 35 now, so I moved up in age group and I, I got to find something radical to do now. Uh-oh. You should buy a well, buy a car. Yeah. What car but, are you going to buy? You have a nice car, but you should buy another one. I know. I it'd be I'd like to buy a sports car and just take it to the track and start, you know, racing laps hot laps around the track. Keep, yeah. keep it keep it within the same realm, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Or uh, I just read that a couple of days ago, Tesla they just slashed their their prices pretty dramatically. I guess they have some a lot of supply right now, but uh, so you can get a Tesla at a discount. That's um, interesting. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm not. I'm still not buying any Tesla stock though. Even though yeah. Right there. They are producing a lot of cars, which is interesting. It's mm-hmm. it's still there. They're kind of freaking me out a little bit with the, uh, I mean, I I don't know with Elon and 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 everything and the PE ratio. It's still really high, but that's probably a discussion for a different podcast, <laughs> the Robin Hood Snacks podcast, <laughs> not the triathlon, not a triathlon podcast, but. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely busy. I think athletes are, they have renewed focus because it's the new year and they are ready to set goals for 2023. And a lot of athletes sort of, it seems like they've been more consistent uh, across the board over the last couple of weeks. So I'm excited. And if you're you're looking to crush some goals this year, know that your competitors are out there right now. Maybe it's a new year's resolution, but uh, yeah, we'd certainly have athletes doing some work, so, um, it's, it's going to be a good year. And personally, I, uh, did not train all that much this weekend. We, uh, unfortunately, well, it's for a good reason, but I moved everything out of the bike room slash pain cave and relocated our entire guest bedroom to the pain cave. Because, you know, we're having a baby and we have to get the nursery ready and the nursery is being assembled in our former guest bedroom. So it was a lot of moving, moving and stuff this weekend. And I did not get a lot of training in because we're, we're prepping, we're prepping. And, uh, my, uh, my bike is now in the corner of what is now our guest bedroom, no designated area for it anymore, but it's worth oh, it. Will, will you keep the, uh, the bike there or are you going to try to move it to another location no the bike is going to be there the 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 bike is still in it's in a different place it's in the same room that it was but we added you know bedroom suite to it so it's there's much less space in the uh uh 
in what was once the pain cave and the my vasa is directly behind me in in my office right now as you could probably see so it's just you know get, getting ready for the baby priorities you know yeah uh, yeah but and you know that all too well although you have a pretty awesome pain cave uh, yeah it, it came together i actually just got my quintana root built up last week and i'm already a couple simple things i already love about it um while it is a disc brake bike and it has through axles, it has a vertical dropout. So it's easy to set on the trainer where my old bike did not. And it's always kind of a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. And the adjustability of the front end is uh, pre it's, it's not simple, but it's much easier than other bikes I've had in the past. So yeah, it's been uh, fun to dial in so far. Quintanaru has definitely been known for, for years about it's very easy to wrench them. Mm -hmm. You know, with a couple Allen keys, you can totally, I mean, you can basically take the bike apart, put it back together, adjust everything. So it's, it's nice. I've had a couple Cantanaroos in, in my triathlon life and they've been great. So, but yeah, yours is, is a very attractive bike. I saw some pictures of it. So it's, it's good. You have a lot of working triathletes getting Cantanaroos right now. A lot. Um, it seems like every day and half the emails us and <laughs> emails me, they're like, what? you know, what, what, what gearing should I get? Or, or, you know, what should I get the, get an Obed gravel bike, which, which is also sort of under the Quintana Roo, the, the same umbrella, same mm -hmm. owner. Uh, so it's Quintana Roo, Lightspeed, which is the titanium bikes. And then, uh, Obed, which is gravel and QR. They, they also have aero road bikes, um, under the Quintana Roo umbrella. So, uh, yeah, they're, solid bikes and everybody's pretty happy with them. So, uh, as have I been over the last many years, but I know that you and I, we've had discussions, uh, about a few things and, and, you know, recently related to, well, number one point of discussion today is, you know, we'll chat more about the elite team. And then, uh, we also have been having discussions about, you know, USAT and how they calculate points. Mm -hmm. um, specifically how they're calculating points at multi-sport nationals right now. <laughs> um, and a few athletes on our long run this, uh, yesterday, actually, they were, they were talking about it and it's sort of confusing why USAT is, is calculating the points in the way that they are. Yeah. The model they created to score multi-sport nationals for the club championships doesn't make any sense and the, i think the goal is participation and ensure everyone counts but i just don't think that's the case so cliff notes version they're basically averaging the age group finishing place of everybody on the team whatever that average is is your score and then that means lowest score wins so the issue is that slower athletes are going to bring down the overall club average so they can only hurt the results the club results so clubs would be incentivized not to bring you know slower athletes beginning athletes so i can provide the example i i've created to uh kind of outline how they are determining points for the race and and why they, they started doing this and because i've actually emailed usat my concerns about it and um, I don't think it's a fair scoring and um, I think it needs to be adjusted. So th th they've kind of created this hybrid 
cross-country scoring system and for those that don't know what cross-country scoring looks like it's you know you you get one point per place that you finish so first place gets one point second place gets two points and so on and so forth so in a a perfect score in cross country would be 15 points that would be one through five you know finishing one through five and um so what what usat did is you know they are giving everyone everyone has to have a min- every club has to have a minimum of 10 scores and so they could have three athletes do three races and, or, and one athlete do one as long as they get 10 scores then they calculate it and uh what they do is divide the total amount of participants for that club by the number of participants so the example i created was team a has 10 athletes and of those 10 athletes, they each finished 10th place in their age group. And then I should also note that USAT is scoring each age group as a single event. So it's not like cross-country scoring works when you have one single event because then you know it's just one event and you're good to go. So with this example, Team A gets 10 athletes. They all finish 10th place in their age group which would be a score of 100 divided by 10 athletes, which would be a score of 10. Team B has 20 athletes. And for this example, I had the first, so we've had, we had athletes finish one through three in each of their age groups for six different events. And then two athletes finish 100th place. So that would be a score of 236 points divided by 20 athletes, which would give you 11.8. So in theory, the athletes that scored 10th place, you know, they have a better result than a team that had, you know, um, a sweep in six events. So, (laughs) so in my opinion, I don't think that's fair. And their argument was that they want to increase participation. And where I think it's flawed is, you know, if you think about the national championships for track and field, the teams that do the the best are the teams that have the most athletes qualify or, or that are participating in the event because then they have a more a better opportunity to score. Um, so they're scoring right now. You're actually penalized for having um, athletes do poorly rather than athletes doing well. And so I think if they want to increase participation, they got to just have every club want to bring as many people as possible to try to get as many points as possible. So I told them they should do a track and field scoring, which, you know, the NCAA, what they do is, you know, top eight score. Um, it goes like 10, eight, six, five, four, three, two, one. Um, they could simply do something similar, maybe through top 10. Um, I know NCAA does top eight because that's what, you know, all the all American status is, but for, you know, USA triathlon, they could simply just go, you know, top three, top five, top 10, whatever, wherever they choose, as long as it's consistent for each age group. Right. It's weird. It's like every additional participant should only, in my opinion, enhance the points total of a club. Um, unless you do something wherein, you know, you, uh, only count the top five or the top 10 or something. Uh, otherwise, your the effect is going to be the opposite. It's going to dissuade slower athletes from participating because they're they don't want to bring down the overall the the average of the uh, or they don't want to increase the average of the uh, you know the overall mm-hmm. club. So 
you know, it's somewhat obvious to me that this is not <laughs> the way to increase participation, uh, but it's a simple way for them to calculate. But, you know, if, if I'm looking at this and, you know, where I'm sitting, it isn't, uh, I don't care all that much about this, you know, the result, I think, you know, our team, this was, this is a target team race for us and we're bringing a lot of athletes. So, you know, I'm, I'm not whining about it because, you know, we're going to do well regardless. However, you know, it, it is fun to analyze things and, and sort of figure out how to optimize them. So, you know, if I'm looking at this and, and if I cared more about, you know, our team winning, I would only bring our a handful of fast athletes. I would just bring our 10 fastest athletes and nobody else. Mm -hmm. um, obviously I don't care. I just want everybody to have fun and, and, you know, do well. So it's not like we're going to try to game the system to try to win the club competition, but as it's structured right now, if I was a slower athlete, I would be concerned or nervous because I know I'm, mm -hmm. I'm only going to hurt the club when we're talking about, you know, figuring out that this were the, the points for the club competition. So I don't know. It's, it seems like there are many easy alternatives, like the one you said, or just, you know, however many, or you can do highest points wins and however many finishers there are in an age group, say there are 100 finishers in an age group. First place gets a hundred points. Second place gets 99. Third place gets 98. That's mm -hmm. an easy way to do it. And then every finisher yep. adds to that points total, or you can wait, the higher finishers, you know, by more, just do some sort of like, if you finish top five, it's, it's double the points and then six through 10, it's at 50% to the points total. So th there are many ways to, to do this that are just as easy, but, um, you know, it's, it, I would encourage USAT to consider <laughs> tweaking it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, we're gonna ignore it. And just, we want as many athletes to show up and have fun and whatever happens, happens. We're going to, we care more about, you know, having a good time, athletes feeling good about their own performance, have fun, hanging out with teammates and enjoying the, uh, the week. Cause it's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a, it, it's a, it's a cool festival. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a big opportunity here to, I think create a new culture of the sport. Um, you know, right now, obviously we have a, an awesome team culture and we do a lot of team events, but that's not the case for a lot of triathletes. You know, it is a lot of people do train alone. A lot of people go to races and it is an individual sport. So having, you know, a festival where there is, I think there's 10 races or 10 championship races that makes it pretty exciting. You know, think about, you know, when people were in, if they were in track and field in high school or college or on the swim team, you, you can race, but then after your race is done and you watch your teammates compete, you, you get really involved with it and it makes it a lot more exciting. And, and this is just not the case with any other race. You know, you can't really, you can't go to an Ironman event and, and spectate, you know, maybe briefly after you finish, if you finish, you know, near the top end. But uh, even even that, like most people are kind of wrecked after the race and they go to a hotel, get some dinner and go to bed. Right. What do you think about the way USAT calculates the uh, the points for each each race, like your, your individual points? I have a brief understanding of the scoring. Mm -hmm. 
I will say though, you can, you can definitely see certain races are weighted differently. Um, you know, if you go to USAT nationals, for example, or Ironman world championships, those races are definitely scored a little bit differently, or, or I should say the par score is a little bit different because as you have, uh, a more competitive field, the races tend to be, I don't want to say inflated. That might not be the right term, but they, you get a higher score. And, uh, if you I've noticed like people that do sprints and even if they do well in sprints or in Olympics, you don't always have the same type of score. And I mean, personally this year, I I would argue my best race was North Carolina 70.3 and uh, it was my lowest 70.3 score. And it was, that that was interesting, but in my highest 70.3 score was Ohio and I contributed to the, the race conditions were pretty tough. And I think when you have like a hot long course race or some conditions that are a little bit more unique, um, it, it brings on the par score. Cause if you have the bulk of the field bonking or, you know, they, they missed the mark by several minutes, um, it, people that can, that people that tend to stay consistent have a higher score. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not a perfect system, uh, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the, the it's probably one of the, the better ways to score. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, I think it's actually a pretty solid system, and it's kind of cool that they they can can pull it off and get at sort of you know a decently accurate points total for each race for every single athlete at every single race. And you know, I did some research to try to understand how they calculate it a little bit more. So, you know, just for some brief background context, in case people don't know what we're talking about, every race you do that's USAT certified, you receive points for it. And it, at one time, you know, the idea was that a score of 100 would be basically the fastest time that an amateur could do on the course. Since then it's inflated and, and, you know, in reality, it's it's probably closer to 106, I think. Um, but the so so the way it, it works now with every single race you do, like I said, you're given a points total, and you can look at last year and and look at you know you, basically the average of your top three races, whatever those points are, the, the average points for the top three races. That's your your score when it comes to rankings and you can look at how you rank overall in the u.s relative to other people in your age group um and it's also usat points are also important for taking one's pro card so if you score above at this point if you score above around 106 at two different triathlons in the u.s um with a certain number of participants you can take your pro card uh so so they're important and the, and the way they calculate it for each race um is they look at so everybody who had a, a usat score from the prior year so they did three races in the prior year whatever their points total was for, for that year well that that's what is used for rankings and that's also what they use to to calculate like the par time at each race so as i understand it they look at everybody who at a, at a race who has a USAT score from the prior year and they remove the top and bottom 20%. So the middle 60% of people who have a USAT, a, a points score from the prior year, they look at that and they only look at, so they look at the middle 60% and they look at the average score. So then that's, 
so, so the average time is correlated with the average score. So, you know, basically the middle 60%, what's the average finishing time and, and, and what's the average, you know, prior year USAT score of those athletes. And then, so then you have a par time and a par points total for that part time. And then to figure out your score, you divide that part time, but by your finish time. So, you know, if the par, the part time was 80 minutes, say at a sprint try, and you did it in 60 minutes, you would uh, divide 80 by 60. So 80 over 60 uh, would give you, you know, a decimal. And then you multiply that by the, the par score. So, 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 so that, that would give you your, your score. So, um, it's, <laughs> so it's a lot of math, but that's, that's how I understand it after reading a few, uh, articles on USAT's website and, and other articles <laughs> in other places. They created the equation and I think they simplified it themselves by just plugging it into a spreadsheet that way you calculate the times pretty easily. But yeah, I, like like I said, it's, it, in my opinion, it's not the it's not a perfect system, but it's it's probably the best system to rank. You know, because like it, you can't go off time across the country because every course and every race condition is going to be different. So you have to rank each individual event, you know, against the field that's participating. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, the way to get a really good score is to get maybe a field that's that's laden with slower athletes or or like you said race a race where a lot of the field blows up so kona this year for example you had athletes with very high scores but conditions made it so that a lot of athletes blew up and did poorly mm -hmm. so you didn't have to go very fast at kona to get a very high score um you know you only had to go around like 10 hours to get above 106 um mm -hmm. you know i got an outrageous score i think it was like 114 or something um maybe even higher i i don't know and and but if i did the equivalent performance you know at another race it it, it would have been substantially lower so th that's an example of how one can sort of almost gain the game of the system if they want to get their pro card or get a high usat score so they can do better in the rankings. Um, but mm -hmm. it's hard to con control for that. And and I think that the current system in place is pretty darn good. But it is yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, like you mentioned, if people want to race as a pro, in the past, I believe the easiest way was getting top three at a um, an elite qualifying event, mm -hmm. which would be any race that has a pro prize of $20,000 or more. So most 70.3s that have a pro field in the US would, would qualify. And I think that's how you and I initially got our first uh, our first uh, entry to, to take the pro card. Mm -hmm. But but now I I believe the point system is probably the the easier route. I agree. Just go to an Ironman or, or 70.3 where everybody has a points total, but a lot of people kind of blow up. Um, or if there are Older athletes, for example, in who mainly compose the race, you can kind of get a higher, higher score. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, this this has come up more recently because we have a bunch of athletes who are taking their pro card this year, and um, so we've had this this discussion with 
a, a few athletes who qualified last year and who are potentially looking to to qualify this year for, for the pro card and take it. Um, but one should never rush taking their pro card. I know that, you know, obviously you, you and I have qualified for our pro cards and we have not taken them for, for various reasons. Uh, because, you know, when you, when you step up, you have to be, go very fast and do well across all three disciplines because you need a good swim so that you're not coming out of the water all alone. Uh, and also you need a good bike and a good run so that you're not, you're not dropped. And, uh, I, I will say that the, probably the threshold to get your pro card in the U S is a little bit lighter than in other, uh, countries. So, you know, just because one of our athletes qualifies for the pro card, it, it is not obvious that they should take it. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of a lot of athletes who have taken the pro card, but have, uh, almost lost a love for the sport, uh, because, they just can't compete, especially if they lack that swim ability. So you know, mm -hmm. we're really ca careful in advising athletes uh, to take the pro card. But, you know, one way that we're personally trying to sort of get around this is this fear uh, of, you know, just typical amateur sort of training on their own and moving up and taking their pro card. One way we're trying to get around this is to, uh, well, we're starting a pro team, an elite team in, in Nashville. And we are, uh, aiming to, well, this year we, we will have numerous athletes who already have their pro card or who are looking to move up, train together in Nashville, uh, on, on our elite team. Um, and the idea is, you know, these athletes train together multiple times each week. They show up to, to races together. They compete against the field and they also compete against each other. So, you know, they get better because they're training together and they push each other. And then maybe there's less of a fear of taking one's pro card or less hesitation because there will be athletes, you know, you could potentially compete against showing up to these races. So I think it's interesting, mm -hmm. you know, everybody sort of scrutinizes the top age group athletes in the U.S., why don't you take your pro card? Why didn't you take your pro card? And I think a lot of athletes don't want to take their pro cards because, you know, they have full-time jobs. They don't have the luxury of training, like, you know, the tip top pros, um, cause they're going to get their doors blown off. And, and, and that's, that's a valid consideration because athletes who take their pro cards and they compete in these races, they're, they're, they're the best in the world generally. And it just isn't the case that a lot of a lot of low tier pros sort of show up and racist pros. Um, so it's just this sort of the strange sort of cutoff wherein athletes who are really, really good amateurs at the pointy end and, and can consistently finish top three at Ironmans or 70.3s. Oftentimes these athletes are afraid to move up because they're, they might just get left behind and it's not fun doing that. Meanwhile, everybody's sort of annoyed at them for not moving up. So it's like this weird catch 22 so, you know, one of our goals is to sort of ease that transition and make the transition from age group to pro a little bit easier. And we're doing that partially through, through the, uh, uh, the pro team in, in Nashville. Um, so, you know, that's, a that's one reason we're starting a pro team, but, you know, we also, like I said, have, we work with many athletes who, who are on that bubble. But, you know, if you are looking to make the jump and they're already going to be viable 
pros. So they already have, they're going to be able to potentially earn prize money, say at regional mm-hmm. Ironman or 70.3 races. Um, so we just want them to also do as well as possible. Uh, who are they're, they're not really on the bubble, but we want them to do well by training with other athletes, you know, each week and, and get better together. Putting people together, you know, obviously you create the motivation and it's, it's a circular effect where it continues the momentum and athletes get excited about it and they can hold each other accountable. And that's what it's all about. You know, going back to what I said earlier, the sport is, is very individual, but having the ability to work with other people, even just connecting on simple workouts will, will help build the accountability and keep the momentum going. And I know, you know, one, one other thing too, I, I was reading on, uh, online, the PTO, they're, they're kind of, it looks like they're targeting certain races that would interfere with Ironman 70.3 events, which some people were concerned about that because it, they saw it as competition, but then someone brought up a point where it may give like those the the pros that typically might be out of the money an opportunity to start making money. So it could help bridge the gap as well. Mm-hmm. And that will be interesting. You know, if we have more events that have prize money for athletes, I think there could be the opportunity for more people to move up. Um, it, it'd be less scary and it'd be just, there'd just be a bigger, a, you know, a bigger pool of athletes to, to compete against. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's it it is good, I think, to allow or inspire more athletes to sort of move up to the next level because that will impact the way they train. Like somebody might listen to what we've been talking about, which is you know trying to facilitate athletes on the age group pro bubble to take their pro card and move up. Some some might say, well, they're just not good enough anyway if they're not immediately jumping up and able to compete with the best. But you know. There is a, I would say, number one, there isn't a whole lot of support for just triathletes in in the U.S. Um, you know, tip top athletes. You know, certainly there is some support from federation and and other resources, but you know, it, there just isn't a whole lot there, and it's really tough for especially athletes um, who aren't immediately just crushing it to to get sponsors, but. Um, you know, part of the reason we're doing this is, is once one takes their pro card, even if they aren't tip top, you know, competing with the best long course athletes in the U.S., like you know, Sam Long, etc. You know, but they're going to view themselves as a pro, and that identity is going to inspire them to to put the work in to get better and sort of maintain a sense of joy while they're training, rather than training out of out of fear or or out of just feelings of inadequacy and then they just stop. They don't even they get out of triathlon altogether because the timeline for certain athletes to sort of develop into viable pros, it just might be longer. And if they hit that, you know, they're a top age group or maybe they, they, uh, if they take their pro card, they just, because they don't have the support system in place, they'll just, they won't be able to compete in those initial races and then they'll just leave the sport altogether. Whereas, you know, if those athletes just stuck with it a little bit longer, they could have evolved into, uh, more viable pros. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that this is sort of just a good way for us to, you know, help athletes 
make the transition and, and just do uh, uh, do it in a manner that is is good if we're looking at it from a long at a long term perspective. Um, but you know, the other thing is, you, obviously, we, we work with a bunch of amateur athletes, and, and that is that's really the core of triathlon. You know, triathlon fans who support the pros. I mean, they are uh, amateur athletes. And they're really, I mean, they're, they're the meat and potato of, of the sports. They, they define sort of triathlon and we want to inspire them. And we want uh, to offer, you know, athletes who maybe aren't almost on the amateur pro bubble to work their way up or just, mm-hmm. you know, be inspired by and, and motivated by observing the discipline of, you know, athletes who are sort of going all in and aiming to make a run at it just in the same way that non NFL players like to watch football. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's the same thing, but, but, you know, we can actually participate in the races and create mm-hmm. our own goals or race against friends or, or other people at our level, uh, in the arena. And we can harness, you know, other athletes who, you know, are, are professionals to, uh, just inspire us to get out there because we, we could see how good humans can be and what it takes to actually, uh, you know, reach the highest level in any domain. And in this instance, we're talking about mm-hmm. triathlon. So, you know, we want to inspire uh, the other athletes we coach who are not um, professionals. That's a really good point too, because I, while, while the age group is the core of the sport, the age group athlete, I do believe that high performance does inspire people and everyone has different goals and goals are relative. And that's, that's the beauty of the sport because we get the opportunity to compete in the same arena as these athletes and look up to them, which makes it pretty cool. Um, I would be terrified if I were to step into uh Ford field in, in Detroit and uh, go, go up against the, the Detroit lions um, with all my peers on the working triathlete team. But uh, it's, you know, if we have athletes making that leap, they're going to rise to the occasion um, just like everyone else has done in the past. You know, once you start competing against other people that are slightly faster than you, you know, it, it continues to push everyone in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And you know, while we do, we, we got to ensure people are prepared to make that leap. Um, it's it's going to be pretty fascinating to watch people develop. Yeah, for sure. And at a certain point, athletes or anybody in any domain, you sort of rise to the demands that are applied to you. Mm-hmm. So in, in a sense, certain athletes, if they, if they move up, they, oftentimes they just rise to the occasion and, and they end up being better for it. So, you know, we want to maybe encourage that perspective, assuming that, you know, these athletes are at the appropriate place in their lives, careers, families, I mean, you know, you're young, 20 something, you know, early twenties athlete. You probably don't have nowadays. You probably don't have kids. You probably don't maybe, or probably don't have a spouse. And, you know, there's a short window in your life where you can pursue this. So, um, you know, might as well pursue it now and not wonder what could have been. Um, Mm -hmm. so you know we're we're excited about the uh, uh, the group of athletes who are going to sort of lead the charge and 
working triathletes first, uh, working triathlete elite first season. Um, and it's going to be a fun year. Uh, you know, a number of them are, are moving to Nashville to live and train full time. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we are leasing space at a performance labs. So we'll be able to do a lot of good lab testing and, um, and offer other resources to, to the athletes. So we're, we're certainly excited about all this. Um, and, and are pumped. We have 12 phenomenal athletes uh, all have great personalities and their work ethic is amazing. Um, you know, one of the first, we have two athletes that will probably maybe take the draft legal pathway. You know, I have one athlete racing next month in about three weeks. I'm super excited to see how he, how he does. And then most other athletes will probably go the, the non-draft pathway. Um, but eventually I think most triathletes tend to go that route anyway, uh, when you hit that long course. Um, but we'll have a lot of athletes at Chattanooga 70.3 to, to kick off the season, or I guess we'll have athletes at multi-sport nationals too, but, um, both those two races will be pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. And, and of those 12, I think 10, 10 are athletes who you or I have worked with for, in, in some cases years. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. been a lot of, uh, work in the making, you know, we have two athletes who we've not, uh, coached previously, but who wanted to move to Nashville to, uh, uh, train with, with the team and, and, uh, aim to, you know, crush it and continue to develop, but, you know, in an ecosystem wherein they'll, you know, live, breathe, triathlon, have a good support system and, and in-person group training with, with top athletes. So, um, it's, it's, it's good. Like you said, great personalities and, and we'll have, you know, each one on the podcast over the next few months and, you know, check out, uh, freestyle try Jenna and Miguel's YouTube channel. You know, they're moving to Nashville. Miguel is taking his pro card and he's going to document a lot of the, uh, a lot of what happens in 2023 as it relates to, uh, the, the pro team and also working triathlete just in general. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you can follow along. We'll, we'll see how the storylines evolve, but I'm sure it's going to be dramatic and captivating <laughs> and a lot of fun and also inspiring to follow. Absolutely. Well, I think that, that covers a lot of what we want to talk about. I'm trying to think uh, if there's any other topics we haven't hit on. I think that covers it for today, for this week's podcast. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, you know, if you have any questions for us about the elite team or, you know, anything else working triathlete related, I know personally I am at capacity for coaching. Conrad, you might be as well, but we do have other coaches. Yeah, we have other coaches that uh, are looking to take on other athletes. So if you have any questions, you can reach us at info at com. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya.